Welcome to DevSecOps, and today we have a HashiCorp special, right? Yes. Hello, hello, my friends. How are you today? Hello. 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 And today we have someone special with us. Andre, do you want to introduce our guest? Right. Today we have Jakob with us, who is CTO of of the international consulting company originating from Finland. So this is how we say that, called Verify. <laughs> uh, it's a small consulting firm, and they're not trying to be, a, as Jakob told us, they don't want any partners because they all want to be affiliated. And that's why we thought he might be a really good person to come to our podcast because, you know, our core idea is that none of us are affiliated with any company. Well, there are certain companies we obviously love, but <laughs> we are not being paid by any company, so we could voice our opinions in the way we like. And also, Jakob published a very interesting article about Nomad, and this is how we got started, and the HashiConf uh, happened. So today, we will have HashiConf special with Lafroche, if I'm, I think I'm watching your last name. So make it right, Jakob. Now. <laughs> well, thanks for the introduction. Uh, great to be here. Um, yeah, I think Andre gave a pretty good summary, but um, I, I do a little bit of everything with continuous integration, cloud technology, infrastructure. Yeah, I guess all round thing trying to use the word DevOps as little as possible, but yeah, <laughs> everything DevOps. <laughs> ah, really cool. Yeah, and as you said, Oni, it was a HashiCorp announcement, and they right. announced some new products, right? Yes, it uh, yeah. doesn't happen that often. Like, you know, no. with, with Apple, you know that every, every year you're going to have an iPhone. With HashiConf, you don't really know. And yeah. I think it was about five years since they announced their last open source product, which I believe was Vault in 2015. And yeah. this year they attracted the attention of everyone by announcing two new open source products. One of them is called Boundary. Yeah. And uh, Boundary is a zero trust solution from HashiCorp as a could think of that as a way for you to replace your VPN eventually. It's just a technical preview. It's a release 0.1. Yeah. It's a bare minimum, uh, but still quite interesting. And also, I feel that we are in the middle of the zero trust race. Yeah. So, like, there are a multiple vendors trying to offer a similar solution. Just yeah. a week before HashiCorp Cloudflare announced Cloudflare 1, uh, else yeah. a zero trust solution which works in a very similar way like with Cloudflare 1 you get something that they call Warp it's a desktop and mobile client that would send your traffic to the Cloudflare Cloudflare will accelerate it through by the routing through the Cloudflare network and then you can have a Warp gateway that you put into your that you put into your data center and this is yeah. how your traffic being routed from any device into your data centers. They can also have a solution for a SaaS platform, so you can allow traffic to the SaaS, but I haven't looked into that in the details. But it's more like from for client into the site, or is it between site to site? Or it's like, also it's site like, to site, so it's like basically yeah. anything to anything, in my understanding. Yeah. But they were, they're being very vague about it. 
Yeah. And the boundary is pretty much similar to this. So what you have, you yeah. have a boundary CLI, then you have like a boundary uh, control plane that runs somewhere in your data center and it de- decides who you could connect where. And you also okay. have a, like a gateway that you deploy, they call them workers. So those oh. workers are interfa- internet facing. And then through your CLI, you will authenticate the boundary. So boundaries and nodes that you will get the tokens very similar how world works. Uh, yeah. it, it will authenticate you using some third party credential provider eventually, because in the 0.1, they only have a local database of username and passwords, which yeah. is like a showstopper for most of the companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I help people check in the source code and they already see that there is a open ID in the source code. It's just not being released. So it looks yeah. like, for instance, the JSUIT support coming very soon. And this is where I would actually be comfortable start testing it. I during the conference I boot it up, it works. So like I have it running in a cloud, and uh, I had uh, my local client on the laptop, so I managed to connect to the to the resources running in the cloud. And the way it works is, from when you authorized, then you will run like boundary CLI, and then tell you what type of connection you want to make. So you can forward, for instance, a Sage connection. You can forward HTTP connection, and you can forward. Uh, like database kind of like PSQL, I think Postgres connection for this is what they support. And that will connect you directly to the database. This is what they say. If you as a person is authorized to connect to the database, so the difference between VPN here, VPN you just connected to everything, right? Well, unless you have some complicated networking set on the VPN side. But here, control plane will check that this person yeah. Not like anyone who connects to the VPN. Like the problem with VPN, you don't really know who it is when it is connected. Here, you actually know that this person is trying to connect to that resource, and connection will be routed through the worker. So the worker will receive the request, say like this guy wants to connect to there. Can I allow him? And if it's allowed, then you yeah. connect. And this is this basically is. It's very simple, and it will also allow you to tighten your. Uh, network, for instance, like if you think in Amazon terms, you will only allow network from those worker nodes to your yeah. boxes. You still do SSH, but you can make things that you might not to do SSH. They also promised integration with Vault, so that might be interesting. For instance, like if you connected to database, getting dynamic credentials from Vault, that would be like a killer feature, I think. Yeah, yeah. then you can grant access to those resources on IP level as well. That would be cool. Yeah, so nice. That's nice. a brief in the boundary. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Let, let's hear what you have to say about that, guys. It, it sounds in the beginning like the old, uh, uh, what do you call the ticket system you have in university? Kerberos? Ah, uh, Kerberos, yeah. Kerberos, like, you know, Kerberos, yeah. you log into server, you get a ticket, and then it was valid to different. Sounds yeah, a little bit like so that. Much, so much pain, this Kerberos. Yeah, oh my God, that was pain to manage, but yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I guess one interesting use case from, from, from my perspective would be that if you have tools which are notoriously insecure, uh, let's throw the, the main CI tool that's been around for the last 10 years or so out there. Uh, if you want to stick a Jenkins in your cloud yeah. um, and you want to give access to it, but you don't want to go through VPN or, well, in AWS terms, like a VPN or Direct Connect or something, but you still want to have it public facing, then I guess you expose your boundary or your 
your zero trust control oh. plane, oh. and then grant access through that basically a, a public facing boundary into a private Jenkins. So the only way to get to Jenkins publicly is through boundary, and and thereby you, you would have some you would have some trust uh, in what yeah. in what you're putting out in the cloud. So. So it's a basically a transition from perimeter-based security to the to the like one public one, but you have everything in one. But then you authenticate anyone who connects there. So it's we have the whole podcast about that episode number fifteen, where Matthias yeah. and Julian going through the zero different zero trust platforms, and they also mentioned Beyond Core white Beyond Core white paper. There are other solutions like Tailscale, I, I believe you mentioned that. They, they build a zero-trust solution based on the WireGuard. So mm-hmm. there are a number of players popping up in this uh, area. It's quite interesting to see where we will end up. I, I, I believe, actually, with this Cloudflare 1 and the boundaries, they might be beneficial. They might not be even competing. So like for instance, with the Cloudflare, it's very interesting that they accelerate your traffic to uh, to your data center because like yeah. I work with uh, remote all remote companies and we have people who are like bandwidth impaired like, like for instance there are people who like constantly just bug me how slow VPN is and like for those people I would actually see them going through like some kind of network accelerator like hopping into the nearest edge of Cloudflare network and then going through Cloudflare instead of shitty routing of the ISP provider yeah. Or like yeah. you might have uh, some uh, government who just does like heavy DPI scanning like on everything. So, like, <laughs> you, you, you know, there are like different use cases and, uh, and uh, Cloudflare, it doesn't really much concern with what's happening in your data center. They just give you a road and they're acting more like as a VPN as far as I understand. But they have like also interesting solution for the SaaS. I'm not really sure. I'm not understanding how exactly it works, but it's kind of interesting. And uh, that they say like they can also you could have zero trust for SaaS and like those two things doesn't really match in my head very well. So I, I, I don't really have the details, but if anyone interested reads up on that. And uh, and the boundary is more like deeper into your data center, like deeper integration into the stuff you're running there, deeper integration in the in a HashiCorp yeah. uh, in the HashiCorp provided tool. So that might be interesting. And speaking about the tools, cool. let's move on. So there were like a tons yeah. of announcements. They announced Terraform 0.15, and together with that, they also, well, it's available in beta already, and they're also saying that uh, Terraform, we could expect Terraform 0.1 soonish, like within one year. This is like the approximate time frame. They're saying they're going to be Terraform 0.15, and then from Terraform 0.15, within like about eight months to 10 months, there will be a Terraform point one. So one point zero. This is what I'm trying yeah. to say. And the interesting things about zero point fourteen, it you will don't need to do. Uh, it's a backward compatible to zero point fourteen, so there is no upgrade path. You don't need to run Terraform zero point fourteen yeah. upgrade. <laughs> so it's really annoying. Uh, the big thing that they have there, it's a sensitive input variables. So basically, when you're putting in something, they have sensitive outputs, so they don't they don't show you a password and stuff like that from the models. But now they also have inputs, so they will not show the password stuff like that that you input into the model. When you plan, they know you don't they don't need to show it. So that's a big thing. Then they also have uh, some kind of diff, which is 
more concise is what they say. So basically, they show you less. They show you what's about to change. Right now, you have like a big output. They will print the whole object. Now they just yeah. narrow it down to what's about to change. Doesn't really feel like it's a big deal, but they actually made a big deal out of that during the presentation. <laughs> And uh, there are other things. Uh, yeah, for instance, like support for ARM on Linux, ARM64. I guess that like they're preparing for the new Macs coming soon and stuff like that. And um, also, I cannot find that anywhere in the documents, but on, uh, on during the presentation, they mentioned there will be a testing provider, like Hello Pulumi. So there will be a testing provider for Terraform as that will, you will are able to use to test your models. They were like very, very secretive about that, but that seems to be common. They said that like they, they feel the pain of people, they're looking into what they can do and something will come. There were like a little bit of demo during the presentation, but thing is I haven't seen the presentation with my eyes, I only heard it. So it was streaming <laughs> through YouTube and I have YouTube Premium, which can play with your screen off on your phone. So I went for the run, and like I was basically running during that <laughs> presentation, and I haven't seen the demo, but they were like discussing that, and they were like telling that they're showing the demo, but I haven't seen it. I cannot okay. tell you how it looks like. <laughs> then uh, there were like Elsa console 1.9, and uh, they do a lot of refinements coming for the for the integration with the Kubernetes and OpenShift. Also, now you have application-aware intention, so they're basically extending support for Layer 7 uh, in uh, Console Connect, that's a service mesh. They have service mesh visualization, so like now Console can visualize more details about Console Connect, which is very handy, I believe. It's a pity they didn't have it before, so I'm pretty much looking forward to it. Also, they now also have like an active health check for Console and Kubernetes. Yeah, like, yeah, and uh, there is also like streaming of uh, console uh, background communication, so we just reduce a uh, lot on your console server. So, like, improvements going forward, like solid release, nothing groundbreaking, but just a solid release that improves things that were already working and improving on some key areas, I believe. Also, the console HashiCorp. Uh, cloud platform is now available uh, in beta, so you could now get a console service in AWS and Azure uh, from HashiCorp. I have no idea how much does it cost. They are very sketchy about the pricing. If I, I guess, like as anything HashiCorp, it's gonna be expensive. That's my guess. Right. So, like moving forward, they also announced that uh, Vault will be available in a private beta as a. Service. I think that will be a big for HashiConf and for people who like just doesn't have resources to manage Vault and do it right. It's like security solution, which requires a very very specific set of skills. So we'll see what happens there. And uh, finally, moving to Nomad because uh, Jakob, I'm like jumping through the hoops here, you know, to yeah. get us to Nomad and. Uh, they actually didn't announce much about the Nomad. They just say that they, I think they were, they were not ready to announce stuff about Nomad because next week, October 27, but next week from the recording of this podcast, October 27, most probably the episode will be aired that week. There will be, um, there will be a special event announcing Nomad and they're about to release Nomad 1.0. 
But what I really like was a key, Nomad keynote during the conference. I think eventually it will be on YouTube if you have a chance to take a look on that. It was, I think, was one of the best uh, keynotes where they spoke like, yeah, we are aware of Kubernetes. Like, it, it's kind of hard not to <laughs> mention Kubernetes. Like, there is a big elephant in the room. And they're saying like, yeah, we understand there are like certain use cases where people really benefit from Nomad. So there are like other use cases where people probably will be better off going with Kubernetes. So... I really like that. And this is, I think, where we could have a little bit of discussion. Like, what was your experience with Nomad, Jakob? As far as I understood, you did a little bit of work for customers with it, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think this discussion of, of Kubernetes versus Nomad is um, is a really interesting one. And part, part of what triggered me to even look at Nomad in the first place and then get to the point where we have it deployed with some customers and um, and then writing write, writing a blog about it as well. Um, um, so yeah, my my view on it, and the same with the other HashiCorp tools like Console and things, is that it's it's really like in your face, and it's really simple um, to just set up and work with. And running through the the HashiCorp tutorials online as well. Um, if you just spend half an hour with the tool, you have like running through this tutorials, you already feel like, like, ah, I, I, I kind of get this. I, I, I see where this is going and you can start to make assumptions. Uh, and sometimes those assumptions are correct. And I, I, I love that progress with tooling. When you look at something for a little bit, you, you kind of feel like you grasp it and then you're like, okay, so I could do this now. And then you can, you can, you can do that without reading, you know, massive manual and things like that. Yeah. So, but, but that also come with uh, a background. Cause I remember I had a developer working with Walt and he was, it's like where the documentation i only see like the ebay calls here and i yeah, don't but know you, what to you do. worked with wolf when it was like z- 0. 0.2 0. 0.3 oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah, now, yeah right now they have a ton of documentation yeah but <laughs> now i agree now you can start working with it i worked with wolf today actually as well and now it's much simpler and, and i really get it but <laughs> when you're familiar you're running with commands and CLIs tools and a little bit then it's much easier to use the HashiCorp uh, services that they have the tools. Yeah, and especially if you have yeah. if you have a background around similar tooling as well. Um, yeah, Vault is a little bit of a special case, maybe because <laughs> 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 there, there aren't there aren't many tools um, there aren't many tools that operate like Vault, which is which is nice. But with Nomad, there obviously are. Like if you have experience with with something like Docker Swarm, for example. Um, it's kind of on the same level as complexity and you're running workloads, uh, although Docker Swarm's obviously just containers. Um, but there's there's a lot of like there's a lot of knowledge you can build on if you have experience with tools like this. So that that was actually our background was uh, we were torn between Docker Swarm and Kubernetes. And I'm sure if I asked everybody who I work with closely if they had to choose one for like enjoyment, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know which way they would go. Yeah. <laughs> but when it comes to running, pretty much dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, it's not a very vibrant community. But if you have to run something on premise, uh, if you if if you're in that uh, zone, you have to run something on premise. You just want to maintain a couple of a couple of basic services, uh, but you don't want to do it on bare VMs, you know, with Ansible or something. You want to do it in containers or just manage some way. Then what do you do? I mean. Spinning up Kubernetes cluster is way overkill uh, on premise for that, and Docker Swarm is well, not so exciting and thrilling. So that's that, that's 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 the dilemma that we were faced with, um, mm. and and what really piqued my interest with Nomad. Yeah, that's uh, like you know when you when you 
listen to HashiCorp, what they say is that the primary customers for Nomad are companies who need to have like a hybrid deployment. So when, mm-hmm. for instance, they're running on-prem, on cloud, right? Then there is a big bunch of Windows users. That's another like a uh, big uh, area where Nomad excels because it's just, how they say, it's just a binary, just one binary, which is not. Like you have to like drop one binary and then it works. Yeah. And uh, also like it can run not only containers, it can run like Java applications. It could just run any shell script. It can do like nice jobs. So we also have a client where we work like they needed to have a connection to private data centers, mm-hmm. multiple actually. Also, also have some uh, real estate in AWS. And we need to all of that work together. We have like GPUs on prem. We have like a general purpose workloads in the cloud and all of that need to communicate somehow. And then like a couple of like the console connect to like connect all of that together securely and the nomad, it felt like a really good fit. And with Kubernetes, I think we would uh, be much more pressed with the overlay networking and making all of that work. I mean, I'm not saying it's not possible to do that with Kubernetes. I'm just saying it would be a little bit harder. At the same time, I mean, like, every time you see Nomad mentioned by someone on a social, they say, like, yeah, it's just so simple. It's just one binary. <laughs> come on, guys, it's, it's not true. Yeah, it's yeah. just not true. Yeah, because yeah. it doesn't work without console. So there is at least a console that you need to have. And consoles yeah. are similar to YTCD in uh, Kubernetes. Yeah, yeah. But in <laughs> Kubernetes, what you get out, now I'm playing the <laughs> devil's wow. advocate. What you're getting in Kubernetes, you're getting tight integration between all the components they put together. When mm. you're getting like Kubernetes 1.19, you're getting a specific version of ETCD, right? Because this is what they tested with the rest of the puzzle. Mm. And with Nomad and Console, there's no select that. Like you actually have to pick and choose and figure out what works, what doesn't. That we we had issues with that actually, like picking mm. those together. And then that's more like you want to do container networking, and now you have to like SCI running, uh, container storage interface. You want to do like CNIs. You have you have to have that one running on the on the node, which comes as additional binaries as additional services. You want to do console connect. Welcome to Envoy world. Now you have to run a lot of Envoy all over the place. So yeah. it's more than one binary. Well, it's understandable what you're doing, actually, like from the documentation. It's less the magic of Kubernetes, but like magically running a lot of stuff that you have no idea about, which is running under the carpet. But here, I would say, like, don't don't trust those people who tell you it's like one binary, super simple. No, it's more. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, but, yeah. but if, if, you, if you go back to me, I don't, I haven't looked at no Marina. What what do you can you use it to? Uh, control some servers and then like make simple tasks to run them maybe like a job app you said or docker so you kind of controlling a, a larger set of servers to run simple tasks like that yeah that's 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 yeah. pretty much it is you have you you would have your nomad server or servers and then you'd have your nomad clients where the actual workloads are scheduled and the way you schedule a workload is by declaring a job uh, yeah. so a job spec in hcl and then that job spec could be Using the the Docker driver, in which case you you know spin up a Docker container, or you could just be using yeah. the exec like execute driver, in which oh. case you can just run a binary, and then cool. uh, whatever you like, I just create, yeah. 
Yeah, and then the nomad take care of the that is running. It's always up and all those other things that you need yeah. to yeah. maintain, right? Yeah, yeah. So in, in, cool. in, in terms of scheduling and running workloads, which yeah. is like as like its primary feature, it's really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, I think I think I think that's the thing. It's just one binary, and if all you want to do yeah. is run a workload somewhere, then yeah, you only need one binary. But as yeah, soon as you yeah. want to have networking, uh, maybe some HTTPS and 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 uh, or an ingress, um, yeah. and you want to have all these other things, you want to have storage. Um, suddenly, it's like yeah, it's one binary. Plus, then yeah. now you need to plug in all these other little things. <laughs> so it's um, so I think I think I think uh, Andre, you you could say that it is one binary if you want to run workloads. But if you want the rest yeah. of the package, <laughs> you need you yeah. need other binaries. <laughs> Yeah. But, yeah. but basically, like you know, with all those orchestrators, people don't want orchestrators. That's not mm. what they want. Yeah. People want to have application delivery platform, mm. right? Yeah. Which is a complex solution that also includes like CI and CD. How you break, how you take the source code from the developer, and how you make the source code run somewhere. This is what you use Kubernetes for. You build a platform. You build an application delivery platform. The same with yeah. console. Like in some in some cases where they have like for instance circle uh, uh, using Nomad to run all the uh, like better jobs and stuff. So there it's different, right? So then you just take the specs and execute them, and you provision workloads. Like uh, Cloudflare runs all the edge infrastructure on Nomad. This is what they say. They had a really interesting talk about uh, the, the vertical farming company. Which runs like everything on the number across like multiple farms and the cloud, like the massive installation. No one of that runs like a, like a homogenous cluster. So, like those use cases, they work really well. And you can choose and pick what you add there. And with Kubernetes, you have like a little bit less flexibility, I would say, in the components. You have flexibility still, but you. You, then, then you have a complexity problem, making sure that all those components work together. But I think I think the the, mis, the the misconception and something that's I think the most valuable takeaway for me, if I had to go at this again, is that with Nomad you can start like immediately doing stuff. But if you want to reach this application delivery platform or deployment platform, you you need to build it yourself, and 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 getting to there is going to take some time. But you could start with some working prototype immediately. Whereas with Kubernetes. You can't just start. You need to like create the whole platform upfront. But once you have that platform, now you have your application delivery. I think. Yeah. Um, Another thing about, nice about Nomad, what I kind of like. Well, I, I see pros and cons here. They have uh, all your job spec is one file. So, yeah. like with Kubernetes, for instance, you want to have your application. You will have your Helm chart consisting of like twenty different objects that you need to configure. And some person who is new to Kubernetes, they might have no idea about those objects, right? Mm-hmm. Like that you need to have like horizontal pod of task scaler, like the really? limits to work for horizontal pod of task scaler to work like network policy, pod security policy, pod disruption pattern. And they keep adding those things, you know. It's not getting less, it's getting more. <laughs> and uh, we uh, throw in all your custom resource definitions as well that you need, and then yeah, and now you open the Pandora. Yeah. Yeah. everything's yeah. an operator. Yeah, <laughs> and like with Nomad, you basically have like one file that defines everything and defines like yeah. networking, mm-hmm. your limits, and you could have like an overview of this, right? So very easy, you can get a grasp of like what's this all about. And there are also the fact that it's integrated very tightly with console. 
you don't need to do a lot of work to enable service mesh. You just say like, yeah, console connect brackets and yeah. you, you, you connect it over MTLS. Plus on the console side, you just say like, this service now can talk to this, to this. So it's very neat and very easy from developer perspective. But it comes also with the flexibility, right? So whatever is defined there, this is the thing that you could do. With Kubernetes, you can extend. You have a lot of flexibility, what you can define. Here, you basically constrain to the schema. And it's a good thing and a bad thing. So it depends mm. how you see it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of the ATL language, but we, we immediately found a shortcoming with it as well, which was um, we wanted to mount uh, files, uh, a bit like mm. a config map in, 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 in Kubernetes. Uh, you can even do it with Docker configs in Docker Swarm, believe it or not. So uh, to, to have this kind of feature in Nomad where we wanted to run a container and just put a, a whole file in there, you can template snippet of a file, no problem. Um, but you can't template a whole file. Uh, so we, we found uh, Levant was the name of it, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so immediately we needed now to start templating the HCL files on top of it, which is a bit like using customize, I guess, on, on, now, on, the, now on I the Kubernetes go, side. I'm going to open your <laughs> super secret door yeah. into the way. Look, so there are two formats. So you define an HCL, then it's being formatted to JSON. Yeah. And if you provide a JSON, you could do whatever you like. So basically, a colleague of mine now was, was struggling with uh, console ingress gateways to define them as a normal jobs because yeah. like HCL doesn't support that. But you could do that through JSON. Because like if you just take your job and play in JSON, you could put whatever you like. There is like you know, no constraints. And he managed to get it to work through JSON, but now he also has like a pull request to normal to get it fixed. But uh, this is the like the backdoor he found that you could you know go around HCL and do more things that you not able to through HCL. I will use that knowledge very wisely because yeah, <laughs> going to the backdoor is always a slippery slope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But thanks, um, thanks for the tip. And also, like, a, a kind of a little bit of caution for people who come from Kubernetes. Like, something on Nomad just doesn't exist. I mean, it's a project that was moving kind of slow. HashiCorp was having that on the back burner, I felt. Like, they were just implementing stuff that people would ask them to implement and not really pushing it forward that much. So, like, uh, they recently announced 0.12, where they added horizontal after scaling. And now you might think, like, how did it exist for, like, number of years without horizontals? What did people do there before? Like, how would they scale their jobs? Don't ask me. I don't know. But now it's there. <laughs> the problem is solved. But, you know, things like that. There are, like, some basic primitives that might not be there that you might be used to in Kubernetes, exactly as Jacob uh, described right now, with a whole file mapping. So, like... Things, but at the same time, you have like a big companies actually taking advantage of that and running it on a really, really huge scale. So, time to time, you have to like do it yourself in some cases. Like, for instance, we had a case where we had a job that was OM killed constantly, and we, we want to know about this. So, then we had to build a little bit of like uh, jobs that would 
get the data about that and post it to Slack. I think we actually like yeah. open source it, so I could link if anyone needs that. So if you know, if you if you want to know that your job's being OM killed, that's kind of handy. And yeah. now they're gonna have uh, events API where they're gonna stream events, so you can get more information about your workload, similar to Kubernetes events API, I believe. So something right. you could plug in. They didn't have that. It's coming in now. So, yeah. so, so I have some go. questions yeah. about uh, Nomad. Sorry for. Uh, how does it? Do they have any like beats? So it like send beats how it's doing on the servers or the survey ser- or like the checks. worker? Yeah, are the worker sending back beats yeah, to the, like a central server, or are the central servers sending? Request to, to I the workers. See, Jakob wants to take this one. Uh, well, yeah, I, I, I think I think one of the things, uh, another another plus for Nomad when you when you have that you know uh, one hundred one getting getting started thing is that Nomad comes with a with a dashboard which has some good information already about the jobs and about everything yeah. else. I, I I don't know how many people, myself included, when I first started running Kubernetes, my first thing was like, where's, where's the dashboard? Like, yeah. <laughs> there has to be a dashboard. I mean, very quickly you realize that kubectl is your best friend uh, and, you just, yeah. and you just need to get familiar there. But I mean, when you first try it, it's really nice to have that dashboard and just actually have confirmation that things are working and running. Um, yeah. And Nomad has that, and then they have a native um, extension with with Prometheus as well. So if you're already using Prometheus for different things, then 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 that's great. But um, yeah. I guess this was probably to Andre's point about the Slack notifications and active push notifications. Push yeah. notifications. That's not something I'm, I think is 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 quite native. I think you need some some add-ons for that, and probably these events is a big. Well, a big reason for the events is to enable more of these more of these push-based notifications. Yeah, yeah there is a in a in the jobs transit you have a health check, so you could have a console doing health checks if yeah. you like to, because console it has like the health checking mechanism built in into it, and there are also the way how you can define it for no one to know what knows that uh, that the job is still alive. It's pretty much the same as in Kubernetes. Yeah. So. But but do you use it mostly to like schedule jobs that runs and then die, or mostly for service that keeps on running for a long time? Uh, I mean, there are other cluster messes and other like workloaders they use to spin up heavy workload and then they die, or uh, there are other tools as well to spin up services like Salt Stack. You said Ansible, the multiple of those like configuration manager, but they can be used to startup services as well with um, yeah but a lot of those tools like SaltStack and Ansible are more like install some tools and run some executables not like monitoring workloads and managing workloads yeah um, so I, I would I would I would see those those as those as different things and Mesos is well to me that's a dying project too now so I see I see Nomad and Kubernetes as the two like realistic options nowadays if you want to have uh, a workload orchestrator and probably Kubernetes is, is the choice if you're in the cloud and you have access to these managed Kubernetes services and you you know want to spend some time and investment in this but then yeah if you're on-premise smaller needs uh, maybe hybrid hybrid cloud as well and you're already using things like console and things no that might be yeah I would say like if you are transitioning from uh, if you have some legacy right but you just cannot put into the uh, 
Kubernetes trained away, but you want to take advantage of orchestration, Nomad is a really good choice because it could yeah. boot up your leg- legacy stuff as well as your containers, allow to run all of that together, allow it to network together, and then transition. And this is, you could see that because it's a, basically the Azure Corp customers who they care of, right? So they're helping big companies move over the cloud. They might be like a, a smaller, more cloud native, like who actually came directly to the cloud. It might be not for them. And like, for instance, if you are in love with AWS, or like you sold your soul to AWS, and uh, you have a very little number of stuff to run, like maybe a couple of services and ECS, it's amazing. It's, yeah. It has very little primitives. It's very well integrated into AWS, and you can get up and running very quickly. If you need to build something bigger, then probably EKS or like run your own Kubernetes. Yeah. But if you're like hybrid, if you need to maybe do multiple clouds or also have something running on a, on a, on a, your private data centers, then I think Nomad is much easier when it comes to comparing that to Kubernetes. So mm-hmm. this is where we stand, I think, at the moment. Yeah. But it, it comes yeah, also with it, its own pains, you know. Yeah, but do you need some like, how do you do with like packages on a service? Say that you have a, you want to run a Docker, you need to install Docker on, on the host, right? Well, yeah. I mean, the same right. as Kubernetes, so you, right? Yeah, but you know, then you know, use like Terraform Ansible to set up the servers you will like them, and then you apply a Nomad to orchestrate the workloads on yeah. them. That's exactly Packer. the setup we have here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you use Packer, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 All right, okay, cool. so we, we stayed on Nomad for a little while. I think there's going to be more interesting announcement coming in next week, so Maybe we discuss it later on. But to end this, we actually saved a second announcement from HashiCorp for later because it's much more controversial than Boundary. And that's <laughs> something they call Waypoint. And yeah. uh, the first reaction that people, I, I observe, people like, like well, what is this? Like, where do I use it? Like, is it CI, CD or what it was? Yeah. And like for people who are familiar with... Uh, with a HashiCorp product. They had a dead product that they canceled called Auto before. And if you know Auto, Waypoint is pretty much like Auto, but with less ambitions and with a more focus. So like Auto was about to manage your infrastructure. And Waypoint, they market it as a replacement of your make file. It's basically yeah. a tool that you write in H, like you have HCL that allows you to define like how you build, how you release, and how you de- how you deploy, and how you release your software in one file. So my understanding is, well, my theory is that there is a hypothesis that developers want to have a push-button experience like they have with a Heroku, like I just push and then r- magically run somehow. I, this is what HashiCorp, I believe, trying to validate with a Waypoint. They're trying to build something like that for developers. It can, it's a, it has a pluggable infrastructure, so architecture could build like Docker containers, you could build something else, then you could deploy the Kubernetes or serverless or like Nomad, and then it can also, you can also control the release process and it will give you, like it will create a environment for you, it will give you a URL, they're running a little bit of SaaS in the background, hello Pulubi. So like it actually looks pretty much what Pulubi does for you. I mean, yeah. all the announcements this year, it felt like they were actually attacking Pulumi. Pulumi says, you're going to use your 
language to test your infrastructure. Terraform, you can do now with Terraform, like with this test provider that's coming. You say, Pulumi app, Pulumi has their own SaaS, they provide you the link to your stack, how they deploy it. Very, pretty much the same what Waypoint does for you. Yeah. So, and they're not like saying like, yeah, that's a replacement for Pulumi. That's my understanding of things. I speculated here. They're just giving you excuse not to do Pulumi. So like if you're in Terraform, you're just killing a reason for you to take something new because it costs you the cost, right? And like with Pulumi, you say, all right, I do Pulumi, I'm going to get those benefits. But now they're killing those benefits for you because you can get something similar if you stay in HashiCorp infrastructure. So yeah. this is my thinking about that. I, I, I have no insights into product thinking in HashiCorp. I'm just speculating right now. But it feels like that because Pulumi is taking the... It, they, they're getting a little bit of momentum here, and I think the HashiCorp is addressing that threat in this way. What's your opinion, guys? I still don't understand what is the uh, way Yeah, it is. It, I, I don't know either. It's like build, deploy, release, really simple. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, when it started with Docker, it was like build Docker, then you can send it everywhere and will it just run? But when you start sending the Docker to different locations, you end up it's kind of hard to get it working. You know, like it's re- easy on local host, like when you develop, but then it goes to like your test, and then it's a lot right. of other things that need to integrate with it as well. Yeah, the presentation was a show is like you're a developer, right? So yeah. and like you have to learn like serverless, you have to learn Kubernetes, you have to learn a lot of tools to interact with the deployment environment. And what they say is like you only have Waypoint, that's all you need. So you yeah. say like deploy a Waypoint app, it builds your application, doesn't matter how it's built, so it might be your serverless, it might be your Docker container, then it, it deploys it. Maybe it's Lambda, maybe it's like a Google Run or Google Cloud Run, maybe it's Kubernetes. It's all abstracted away from you. You just need yeah. to provide all those files there. And then you can say like uh, Waypoint logs, and that gives you a logs from whatever it runs there. Or you say exec, and then you can exec there. So yeah. the developer, he can easily transition between different environments, right? And get the same type of primitives they operate with. I see that as a benefit for developer. You just abstract that. I think, like for the nomad users, that would be great. Would be great. Yeah. Like you know, deploying to more that nomad gate, getting logs exact all from command line. You could do that with a nomad client, but now you could do it like even more handy, like deploying one command. I think that's great for like Cooper, for person who already like kind of knows and can do all of that with kubectl. I don't really see a big benefit of learning some other tool. When they can already do that, but yeah. going for maybe. So I'm like on the fence with this one. Let's yeah. see where this experiment goes. Yeah, I think and it's I mean, always. Yeah, I, I just just my opinion that it's always a fine balance, and I, I hadn't heard anybody uh, comparing it to a makefile. Um, and when you compare it to a makefile, actually, I, I start to see a lot of value in it because even today, I still write makefiles for a lot of projects I'm in because you're always repeating things uh, with special flags and special commands and it's just it's quicker for me to write it in a make file once and then call the make file than it is for me to type these even with you know um zsh and and histories and fuzzy finder and stuff like this <laughs> still a make file is like it's like a really nice tool so i can see the value there but as soon as you start integrating or trying to integrate uh 
like not closely with lots of other tools. I, 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 I'd be wary that this is just going to be limiting people now that, yeah, we, we moved to, to this new tool, like Waypoint, but we're also trying to use, you know, the latest Kubernetes um, um, template engine or whatever now that's just been released uh, and Waypoint doesn't quite support it yet. And now we're tired because, you know, we committed to Waypoint and we want to go to this new stuff, but we need to wait for the support to be there. And, and that, 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 that to me would be the biggest worry. But if they can somehow do it in a nice way that things can happen in the background and it's more like a wrapper, more like a make file, I, I could kind of see some value in it. So, so this is how they position it. There's a glue, you know, like HCL-based glue. And I, like if yep. people stop writing make files, I would be so much happy. Because I, yeah. I, I have like a child trauma with uh, make files. I, I did a huge make file based build system for like one enterprise company. Uh, like I feel so guilty for doing that because it's just unmaintainable after a while. And now, like every time I see people using make files on the project, I just want to punch them in the face like, straight away. Like, does that include me for, for wrapping QCTM <laughs> commands in a make file? Well, no, 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 yeah, we should. <laughs> I'll see you outside. You out. Yeah, if you work together, <laughs> you should be careful, you know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I, I agree. I see this as maybe limiting as, as well. I mean, you want, you want to run it locally, but I mean, deploy, I have. When developer deploys something, we run a lot of tests on it to make sure it's like it's working. I don't want anybody to exit into to those pods because they're locked, and I don't run Falco there, so you can't execute into Kubernetes pods. Why? Yeah. Why should you? Right? I'm gonna kill them. Uh, also, logs. I mean, Julian, you really love logs, right? Big fan of logs. Like, I will look at metrics. Logs. Yeah, we have them, but. I see that logs make most sense together in, in, a, in a Kubernetes system, right? It's not so. Yeah, maybe if you run locally, like you have your you have some int environment, you can run Waypod up, it deploys that int. You can verify that okay, it's still working on, on Kubernetes here, and, and then you, you merge it into master or whatever you do. But yeah, I have have that. Yeah, I think one 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 interesting uh, positive angle for me would be that uh, well, if we if we if we I'm, I'm bringing up Jenkins for the second time, I'm sorry about that. But like, if we go way back to when CI was was starting out, and you had all these different uh, projects you needed to build, maybe different languages, different build tools, everybody yeah. built a Jenkins plugin, and it was like, hey, like mm-hmm. one interface to do this now, yeah. just call one yeah. command. Uh, and then it felt like everybody was like, whoa, 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 like our CI tool should just basically run bash scripts and then we yeah. code everything in a bash script. But now how do we, like, do we write these massive bash scripts in here? Um, I feel like Waypoint might be a nice way to, like a nice middle ground. So your CI is just Waypoint, you know, up or whatever the command was, Waypoint build. And Waypoint is the glue that takes a trigger from your CI system to actually manage your multiple different build environments, your complex cross, you know, environment setup and things like that. And um, you, you also have other stuff like, you know, you have Cradle, you have Bazel, where people would quite often use to implement different type of automation. But those are complex tools. I mean, there are people yeah, who have books on, on Gradle and Bazel. It's yeah. like something that you like learn overnight. 
and hence why make files are brilliant <laughs> you can write you you can write a 40 line make file and it will save you so much time um, yeah. two years later it's like 100 lines 100 <laughs> lines of make file and no one knows what's going on there because it's it's not declarative when you're longer you have like a logic and ifs and then <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where, where it goes. Uh, ah. Yeah, I also agree. I mean, remember a time when you did a lot on Jenkins to make it work, and then in the end, like, just give me a bash and just run it. It's so simple. Yeah. You can just get someone from the street, like, here's a bash, can you help me out here? They're like, yeah, sure, it's no problem, it's bash, right? It's instead of looking at those DSL files in Jenkins and just make you cry. All right. Yeah. We are, yeah. we are like oh, oh, well overdue, like over 30 minutes yeah. now. But I think there were like a lot of stuff to cover. We cool. will be linking the Jakob's article and more information about Jakob also the links to the HashiCorp announcements to the show notes that you will be able to find at devsecops.fm when yeah. stuff is out. So. Yeah, and with that, I would say uh, thank you for this and uh, tune in soon again. Okay, goodbye. Bye bye. Bye, everyone. You have been listening to the DevSecOps podcast with Matthias, Andre, and Julian. For more podcast and notes, go to the webpage devsecops.fm. Thanks for tuning in.